At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 8 this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You know, it's that time of year where uh, we go outside and we see things starting to grow again, right? The things are turning green and... Um, Things are starting to come up out of the ground. And one of the things that I've kind of been reflecting on this year and being, just being reminded of the fact that if you wanted to grow a garden of weeds, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Right? You don't have to do anything. If you want a beautiful garden of weeds, and if you want to come to my house, you'll see a beautiful garden of weeds. You don't have to do anything. You just like leave everything, to let, let God do what God does, and you'll have a beautiful garden of weeds. But if you want a garden of vegetables, or if you want a vegetable garden that's going to produce fruits and vegetables, it takes discipline and it takes work, right? You've got to go out there. First of all, you've got to get rid of all the weeds, and then you've got to prepare the soil for, to, to receive the seeds. So you've got to till it up, and then you place the, the seeds in the soil, and then you cover it back up, and you water it, you fertilize it, and then when God produces the growth, you have to go out and you have to harvest the food, and then you get to eat and enjoy the food. But, you know, I, I use that as, as an illustration to remind us that in a similar way, if you want to grow in a worldly way, if you want to grow in a carnal way, if you want to grow in a fleshly way, guess what? Don't do anything. Right? Don't do anything because nobody drifts towards holiness. Right? We always drift towards being more like the world and filling in the desires of the flesh from this world. And so if you don't want to be spiritual at all, if you want to be just as worldly as possible, just don't do anything. But if you want to grow in your spiritual faith and, and grow in your walk with the Lord, it's going to take discipline, right? We have to do the hard work. We have to do the heavy lifting in the grace of the Lord in order to grow spiritually, right? If we want to grow spiritually, we, we make it a, a, a part of our life to attend weekly worship. If we want to grow in our, our, our walk with the Lord, we study his word. If we want to grow in our walk with the Lord, we serve these things take discipline. And all of these things that we do, they do help us grow. But you know, today I want us to talk about one spiritual discipline that's often not on the radar of spiritual growth. Right? We normally don't see this discipline that I'm going to talk about in just a second as, as a method or a, a, a way in which we grow spiritually. We, we want to study our Bibles and we want to go to church and we want to do those things. And those are all good but today, I want us to talk about the spiritual discipline of giving. The way that we approach our money and our possessions is central to our spiritual lives. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. But the way that you approach your finances and the way you uh, approach your possessions directly impacts your spiritual life. 
And our spiritual growth is dependent upon generous giving. You may be like, wait, what are you talking about? How are those two things related? How is generous giving compared or a direct relation or correlation to my spiritual life? Well, today, as we look at the passage that we're going to unpack today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to see that Paul is explicitly calling the church to excel in giving. And so what Paul is going to do in this passage is he's going to say, excel in this area. In all the areas of your life, do well and do good and be, uh, become more holy with the power and grace of the God. But he says in this area, in the area of giving, excel. Go above and beyond. Be the standard. Be the mark that is above the norm. And so he says, I'm going to call you to, into this. But for so many people, giving is an afterthought. It's something that we, we come to church and, and we, we think to ourselves or we, we believe that all the, the church exists because all they want is my money. Well, I want you to understand that here at Woodside, we don't want your money. We want all of you. And Jesus wants all of you. And that includes everything that's about you. And so this idea to excel in giving is super important, especially as we're jumping into this series. We started last week. We've entitled this series, Overflow, From Him to Us for All. It's this idea that everything that we get is a gift from God, and God has given it to us not so that we hoard it and keep it to ourselves, but that which God has overflowed into us overflows into others so that we may be a blessing to others and point others to the blessing of who Jesus is. And in this series, we're going to be walking through 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And uh, the Apostle Paul, in these, this section, gives the clearest teaching in the Bible of how giving relates to the good news of Jesus. How the, the gospel itself and how giving go hand in hand as a part of God's mission to the church and mission to us to bless the nations. And last week we looked at the fact that God's grace that is given to us is the greatest motivator in living a Christ-centered, generous life. So today we're going to look at how are we to excel in giving. Because not only does, does Paul want to give us the what we are to do, we are to excel in generous giving, he wants to, to show us in the passage today how or why we're supposed to do this. Why is it important that God wants us to be generous in our giving and in our resources? Well, I want us to see from this passage three reasons that Paul gives us that it's important for us to excel in giving. Look with me, first of all, in verse 7 of chapter 8. He says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So the first truth that we see is that we are to grow in excelling in the Excelling in giving displays God's grace. Excelling in giving displays God's grace. What Paul is doing is he's picking up the flow from the first seven verse, verses of this chapter as he was encouraging Titus and reminding Titus to tell the church to grow in this area, this act of grace. 
See, remember last week, we, we learned about the Jerusalem church. The church in Jerusalem was going through an extreme time of poverty. You have people that had, had whole uh, support systems because of their, their Jewish culture. Their whole support systems totally dismantled because many of them went from their Jewish faith to embrace this new Christian faith and their families disowned them. So they lost their jobs, they lost their homes, they lost everything, and the church is struggling and suffering. And so what Paul was doing as a part of his missionary journey is he was going throughout the churches, these brand new churches that had just started. He's encouraging them to, to take up an offering to give to the church, to the brothers in Jerusalem to help them out. And the Corinthian church was a part of that. They, they had come to the place of where they understood the need and they had determined that they, they pledged certain amount of monies to go to help the church in Jerusalem, but they hadn't yet followed up on it. They said, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to help, but they hadn't put uh, feet to their words and so what Paul is now helping them understand is they need to continue to excel in this act of grace. And Paul is not chastising them. He's not coming with them with a burdensome command, but he's coming in a, a loving and tenderly compassionate way. What I love about what Paul does in this passage is that Paul shows us an amazing tool when discipling others. When we want to encourage others to grow in their faith and to take next steps of faith, there's, there's a way in which we, we can go and we can give someone a command. We can say that the Lord says that you should do this. You should be growing in this area. But Paul doesn't just come with high challenge at this time, which is one way uh, that people can do it. And, in, and if you are a discipler and you're being discipled and all you get is high challenge, high challenge, high challenge, you're going to get overworked and you're going to become overwhelmed. And so what Paul is doing is he's coming not only with the challenge, but here he comes specifically with a word of encouragement. He wants to encourage them and allow them to know how they're doing and what they're doing well, which therefore gives them this motivation. So a good discipler will not only say things like, you need to do this, but they also will come alongside and they, say, they will say, you can do it, whatever it is. And then when they see you doing it, the discipler comes alongside and says, you are doing it, good job, keep going. And so this is the position that, that Paul is coming from. He's not coming from an overbearing, heavy-handed position. He's coming from an encouragement position. Because Paul's whole, whole focus on these verses is to build towards the call to excel in this act of grace. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, when we experience the grace of God, grace comes in into our lives and it begins producing things. That's the work of the Spirit. It begins producing things. And what Paul is, is seeing is that he's already calling out the church. He's saying, you, I can already see that this grace that you have believed in has already begun producing a lot of great things. And then he gives them a list of things. But we can see that you already excel in faith that your faith in the Lord is bubbling over and it's impacting. This grace is growing into your speech and in knowledge and all of your earnestness and all of your zeal and even in your love for others. Like the, this evidence of grace is, is growing and it's being produced and it's a beautiful thing. But he goes on and he says, but excel in this area of grace, the area of giving. 
Like see the resources that God has given you as an opportunity to bless others, not to hoard just to yourselves. Have you ever stopped to think about the amazing potential that is in a packet of seeds? You know, you go to the hardware store, you see the seeds are now out and everywhere. If you were to pick up a packet of seeds, have you ever thought about the amazing potential that is inside that packet? If you take those seeds, those seeds can feed your family for the rest of your life. Have you ever thought about that? You take the seed, you put it in the ground, it grows, it produces fruit. You take the seeds from those fruits and you plant them in the ground next year and it grows fruit and it continues to grow and and it's an amazing thing to see the amount of potential that is in that packet of seeds. It can give you fruit or vegetables for the rest of your life. And not only can it give you fruit and vegetables for the rest of your life, properly caring for seeds can allow you to be a blessing to others. Right? How many of you guys have ever tried to grow tomatoes? And you grow tomatoes and you're like, oh, we only need four plants of tomatoes. And you get four plants of tomatoes. And I don't know anyone that loves tomatoes that much that needs four plants of tomatoes. Right? Because those tomatoes, when they start coming, they start growing and they start producing. And then you end up with an abundance. And so you're giving them away to your neighbors. You're like, hey, do you need some tomatoes? You're bringing them to church. And and sometimes you bring them to me. And I love tomatoes. I love all fruits. So, like, if you have a vegetable garden and you want to give me some this summer, I love it. Bring it. Bring it on. Bless me. But we see the beautifulness of just some simple seeds that they can bless others. But the problem is, even though that packet of seeds has great potential, it's not going to do anything if those those seeds stay inside that packet. You You following me? It's not until those seeds are put into work those, those seeds are put into the soil that they have the potential to grow. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. He's like, hey, the, one of the things that the grace of God does inside of us, not only does it produce love and faith and knowledge and speech, he says the grace of God, when you allow it to live inside of you, it's going to bubble over into your giving. This act of grace is what God is going to do and is in the business of doing. So Paul here, he's looking at the church and he's encouraging them to look at their lives and to see God's work of grace. And they're able to see these seeds of grace that have been planted are now producing spiritual growth. And you know, the amazing thing here is I look out through this room. I see so many of you that have already experienced the grace of God in many of your areas of life. I see the grace of God working in your lives that have repaired some marriages. I see some of you that have seen the grace of God in your life work in such a way that you're no longer addicted to substances. I've seen the grace of God working in some of your lives so now that your relationships are restored. I see some of you allowing the grace of God to work in your life so that you're stepping out in faith and you're trying new ministries and you're doing new things. That's the grace of God at work in your lives. We all have those stories. But just as the grace of God has already transformed the areas, some areas of your life, the grace of God wants to transform and help you understand, change the way you understand and manage our finances. When we live a life of generosity, we're willing to prioritize people over possessions. We're willing to give our money and our resources and put into action this act of grace. Grace. 
And this act of God's grace in our lives gives us a proper perspective on our money and our resources. We understand that everything that God has given us is his. Everything that we have in our lives, our children, our homes, our vehicles, our jobs, our finances, everything, whether large or small, everything that we have been given is a gift from God. And God calls us to manage those things. God doesn't give us those things so that we find our significance or our security in them, but God gives us those things so that as an act of his grace working inside of us, we use those gifts to advance the kingdom. So second, as we look at this passage, we want us to see that Paul is encouraging us to excel in giving. When we do, it displays genuine love. Excelling and giving displays genuine love. Not only does God's grace produce generosity in us, we see that it, uh, God's love pr- pr- produces in us genuine love for others, and it excels itself in giving. Look at me in verse 8. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Paul, again, is still continuing to use these encouraging voice. He's not giving a command here, but he's giving them with a gentle tone. He says, says, I'm not saying this is a command, but he's, he's saying, like, look at the genuineness of your love. Is your love genuine? He's not saying love out of obligation. Don't do this because you feel obligated. Do this because you have genuine love. See, they've already had love, as we see that in the previous passage. They already understood that the act of grace in in their life was moving them towards love, but their love was not yet complete. Because he's, he's saying now, your love is evidence through your giving. And we know this to be true, even in our own lives. What we genuinely love, we do not find it hard to sacrificially give towards. Think about it like this. How many of you have had the blessing of having a baby? Right? You've, had, you've had that blessing of a baby and you say with your words, I love this baby. But your love for that baby doesn't stay there with just your words, right? Because you can't, it's not loving if you just say, hey, I love you and you leave that baby alone and do nothing for it. No, that the, your love, your genuine love for your child moves you to sacrificially give for the sake of the one that you love. Right, that's love is what gets you up at two o'clock in the morning to feed that baby. Love is is what allows you to go and to pay exorbitant amount of money for a ton and ton of diapers. Babies go through diapers a lot. I was reading somewhere that that, that in the average week, babies go through like hundred and twenty diapers. That's a lot of diapers, and they're dang expensive. But you go to the store and you buy those diapers. Why? Because you love your child. If you don't have genuine love for someone, then you're not going to sacrificially give. And so what Paul is saying here is you have genuine love. Understand that your brothers and sisters in the city of Jerusalem are hurting. That you have mothers and fathers that are trying to put food on the table. And they can't because they can't get a job because they love Jesus. Like, put that in your mind and then have genuine love for them so that you put your money where your mouth is. Go help them. 
And in doing so, you grow in this genuine love. One of the greatest ways that we show what we love is how we spend our money. Jesus has said in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, he says, for for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus himself is connecting our heart and our money because what we do with our money shows where our heart is and shows what we really love. If you just pull out someone's bank statement and you look at uh, the things that they've given to on their bank statement, the ways that they use their money, you often can tell what someone loves. When I was a kid, the greatest commodity that I worked for was candy. That's all I wanted. Like, I'd do chores around the house so that I could get candy. And you could tell, like, even when you come into my room, you see wrappers all over the place. You could tell what I loved because I gave all of my resources over to candy, which gave me a lot of cavities and other things like that. But what we spend our money on shows what we love. It reveals what's really in our hearts. And so if we were to do an audit today of your bank account, and where your money is going, what would it tell you about what you love? Are you so concerned about giving to yourself that all, everything that you use your money for goes towards benefiting you? Or is it helping to benefit others? Genuine love is not obligation. See, and I think the greatest thing, that the, the way that God calls us to care for our money is because it is, for us, a sense of security. Right? It's probably in our lives one of the most biggest challenges of whatever. Right? Because God calls us to live a life of faith where we live saying, God, I trust you with everything. I know you hold the future. I know you're working all things out for my good and all of that. But sometimes that's not tangible. I can't hold on to that, but I can hold on to money. And if I could just hold on to it, and if I just keep it here, then I know that I'm going to be okay. Well, guess what? That paper that you're holding on to is not going to be able to be with you in eternity. That money is not going with you. That money is not going to bring you the overwhelming sense of peace and joy, even in this life And so it's so important that we get this right as as Christians, that money is not our object of or our source of security. God has given us whatever amount of money that we have so that we can use it to bless others, to display genuine love. Maybe you never even thought about that before. Maybe you never thought about the fact that you're supposed to give for the sake of others and it's an act of love. Where your treasure is, there your heart also will be also. So thirdly, as we look at this passage, we see the third why that we are to give is that excelling and giving displays the gospel. Excelling and giving displays the gospel. Look at me verse nine. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 
You see, there's, there's something about the grace of the Lord that the church in Corinth already knew. They had come to know it intellectually, but they had also come to experience this grace through the gospel. They had come to understand and place their faith in the work of Jesus. But what Paul is doing here is he's making connection of not only the gospel, but talking about how giving is related to the gospel because the gospel is all a story about giving. The whole story of the gospel is about giving. It's about a great debt that was paid. The great debt was the fact that all humanity is broken and impossible uh, to save ourselves and that we are distant from God and there's nothing we can do to bridge that gap on our own. And so what Paul is saying is, for you already know the grace of our Lord, salvation. And then he gives us the example. He says, for he, he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Paul writes in Philippians this way, too, helping us understand what Christ has done. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and having been found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what Paul is saying is that you've experienced the grace of Jesus. Now follow in his example. For what did Jesus do? Jesus was with God in heaven from eternity past. And when humanity fell, when we rebelled against God, God had always had a plan to send Jesus. But what did Jesus have to do? Jesus had to give up being worshipped in heaven, being next to the Father. He had to come to earth to save us. He had to come and to take on flesh, to take on the, the trappings of our humanity and the fact that we are not self-sufficient, that we need food, that we need sleep, that we need all of these things that constantly remind us that we are not a people unto ourselves, but that we are completely dependent upon God. And so what Jesus did, he came to us and willingly gave up his life by dying on the cross and coming back to life so that we may have the riches of his grace. You know, if you track through the, the, this letter that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, there are several riches. Uh, I, I think I've seen at least eight riches that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. In chapter one, verse 22, we see that we have the riches of the down payment of the Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 16, we see that we have the promise of the riches of daily renewal. In verses, chapter 4, verse 18, we see an, an eternal weight of glory. These are riches that God has given us. In chapter 5, verse 1, an eternal house in heaven. In chapter 5, verse 8, we have unending fellowship with Christ. In chapter 5, verse 17, we see that we are a new creation. In chapter 5, verse 18, we see that we have received the gift of reconciliation. And in chapter 5, verse 21, we see that we have received righteousness. So what Jesus has done is he took on the poverty of earth so that we might have the riches of heaven. 
I love how even 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reminds us of what Jesus has done. For our sake, for your sake, for my sake, he, meaning God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God gave us Jesus as the greatest gift of all. Jesus gave up his rights, gave up his glory in heaven to come to earth to save us so that we might have the riches of him. Humanity was in debt and humanity couldn't save themselves, but Jesus surrendered his rights to come and to do the work of saving us. So excelling in this gift of giving displays the gospel. This gospel is an amazing exchange where surrender leads to salvation. And this is exactly what God calls us to. When we live and when we give, we display the gospel because we give of ourselves, we sacrifice of ourselves for the sake of someone else so that other person may be bettered. You know, in this world we live in today, greed is easy. It is easy. If we leave our lives unchecked, we're always going to drift towards greediness. We're going to try to hoard things and keep it to ourselves because we don't want to give things away. And if you notice and you see that in your life, realize that you're walking outside, outside of and being in step with the Spirit. Greed is easy, but generosity is the best display of the gospel. By giving up our resources and our time for the sake of others, it helps advance the kingdom and it helps do the work that God has called us to do. So today we are encouraged to excel in this area of giving. And I want to just say a couple of things. This is, as we were thinking about this sermon series, you know, I, I think this is one of the areas that our church has grown in the most over the years. You know, there was, there was a season where there were very few families in our church really carrying the financial weight for the ministries of our church. And I want you to know that our church has continued to grow in this area, and now there are more and more faithful givers. It's not three or four families that are filling the bill. We're all doing a little bit, chipping in, and this is how we're able to look at the responsibilities of our ministry and our mission here and see that we are excelling in this area. So hear me, church, say this. You're doing a good job. Continue to grow in this area of grace. But I want to encourage you to grow even more. You see, the, the way that we're taught in our world is when things outside become a little bit more crazy that we need to hunker down and we need to care for ourselves and make sure that we have every, all the securities and all the safeties that we need. But that's the exact opposite of the way that we're supposed to live in Christ. The more the world gets crazy, the more we're supposed to let go. The more the world becomes uncertain, the more we give to God and the more we trust in him. So you might say, well, pastor, what does it look like to excel in this area of giving? I want to give you a couple practical things. First, we need to think about excelling in our giving to the church. Excel in our giving to the church. What does that mean? Well, if you're here and you've been benefiting from the ministries of our church and you've never given before and you're not inconsistent having a giving, this is what I encourage you to do. Start with $5. Start with $5 a week, $20 a month, just giving it to the Lord. 
And what you'll find out is that you actually begin to participate in the ministry here, knowing that when you give that $5, that $5 is being used in a lot of different ways. It's helping kids for the very first time hear the gospel message in our kids' ministry. It's helping to, to, to allow students to go on mission trips so that they get a chance to see God using them. Your money goes to help make sure that this place is, is warm in the wintertime and cold in the summer. Like you're a part of this great, amazing thing that God is doing. When you see someone being baptized, if you're starting to give, you're like, I was a part of that. Like you may not have had a direct relation with the person that's being baptized, but because of the ministry of what God is doing here, you have a part in that. So if you haven't ever been a giver, start with $5 a week. But for many of you, you've already taken on that challenge and you've seen that God's been faithful. My challenge to you then to excel in this area of giving is to move towards the tithe. Move towards the tithe. Now, the tithe, tithing is, is an Old Testament idea that I, I think is carried out in the New Testament, even though it's not strictly commanded. We're not commanded to tithe. We're commanded to give generously. But I think it's a good marker. It's a good marker to say, God, I'm, tr I'm, I'm giving you 10% and I'm living off the 90%. I'm doing all the other things I gotta do, but I'm giving you that 10%. So move towards the tithe. Move towards 10%. Or maybe you're already here and you're already giving 10%. Like you're consistent and you're faithful in that. Then my encouragement to you is to excel in moving towards generosity. Moving above that 10% and using it to, to give to the church so the church can continue the ministry, so that we together can care for the ministry. So giving to the church. The second area is giving to others. God has blessed you with more than just finances. God has blessed you with gifts and talents and abilities. And God has also placed you in communities. God has placed you in your workplace. So consider giving to others, being generous to others. Maybe on a Monday morning, the way that you want to grow in generosity is to bring everyone donuts. Like you're like, I'm going to drive by Tim Hortons and I'm going to pick up a dozen donuts and I'm going to bring into the office and just be generous. Like be generous with the gifts that God has given you. So give to others. But third, I wanna challenge you to grow in the area of giving of yourself. Actually take the time to go before the Lord and say, the Lord, here am I. Use me. Use the gifts and talents and abilities that you have given me for the church, for the world, and just use me. So give more of yourself. Ask God to open up your eyes to see others in need and then help him ask, you, or ask him to move you so that you can give more of yourself to be a blessing to them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for the challenging words that you've given us. Now we understand that to grow in our spiritual walk with you, giving is a part of that. But Father, we are not to do this out of obligation. But Father, as your grace is in our lives, we allow it to produce generosity that is pr promoted and motivated by genuine love. And that when we live in this way, it's the, one of the greatest ways we can display the gospel. Because it's so countercultural to live in this way. The world says, keep to yourself, hoard. But Father, you say, live lives with open hands. And so Father, I pray that in this season of our lives, that this would be the area that we grow in, 
that we would grow more trusting in you, that we'd see you at work, and that we would be excited to be a part of the ministry. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that has never come to the place of placing their faith and trust in you today, I pray, God, that they would call on your name for salvation. But Father, now as we sing this last song together, continue to move in our hearts and help us to be convicted in the areas that we need to be convicted, but help us to allow your grace to produce generosity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.